Hi, I'm Dr. Stan Steinbull. Welcome to Compassion in a T-Shirt in session with Dr. Tony Fernando. Originally from the Philippines, Tony is a psychiatrist in Auckland, New Zealand. He has a number of professional interests, not least working with people who are experiencing sleep disorders, but also in compassion. He's recently completed his PhD, which was exploring cultivating compassion amongst medical doctors. He's an ordained Buddhist monk and a very good cellist and he quite enjoys swimming in icy cold ocean waters. I hope you enjoy being in session with my friend Dr. Tony Fernando. Well, welcome <laughs> Dr. Tony Fernando. Um, thank you very much for, for being on Compassion in a T-shirt in session, although it, it's um, cold down in, in the Southern Hemisphere at the moment. So you've got yeah. your hoodie on and I've got... Yeah, we're, we're, ha we're having a winter blast, actually, the lowest temperature ever uh, in the, pa the past year. So <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, yeah Wellington, Wellington even had snow, so yeah. um, it's unusual. Yeah, It's quite cold. Yeah. Well, it's 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 kind of cold here in Brisbane as well. I, I had to wear a hoodie to bed the other night. But, um, I'm, I'm, we're not very robust with that sort of thing here. We're used to hot and humid. So. Yeah. But it's so it's so wonderful to get to chat to you. Of course, we um, are sort of colleagues and friends across the ditch, <laughs> as they say. Uh, you're over there in New Zealand. Um, and uh, we've ca we've caught up several times, especially for me and you. And you, it's it's been kind of through the uh, the compassion symposium at yes. you and and yeah. you've very generously come across and and done some some wonderful presentations for that. I know that you also have your compassion in healthcare conference yeah. in New Zealand as well. We've, we've had two of those already. So. Two of those already. I I haven't uh, yet been to one of those, although. It's <laughs> on my uh on my bucket list as well so um but yeah i i'm i'm keen to get to have a, a little bit of a a chat to hear about all all that you're doing what where i thought we might start is is just a little bit um you know a, a, a sort of a who is this person you know i suppose <laughs> you know just yeah tell us a little bit about yourself or or you, you know your life or work or what what kind of excites you at the moment yeah, what what what's the concept of self though? <laughs> <laughs> we're just a flow. We're just a flow of experiences of various aggregates. Yeah. But we have to talk about the conventional self. So I let's see. talk about conventional self. <laughs> yeah. I have to give you the conventional answer. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a doctor. I'm a psychiatrist, and my specialty is sleep medicine. So majority of my patients have all sorts of sleep problems. And I've worked probably about 20 years or so in academia. Um, took a break from last year, but who knows what, what might happen. Everything changes. I might rejoin the whole academic drama again. Right. Um, I would say I've been a uh, Dhamma practitioner, like um, mindfulness practitioner and 
quite interested in a lot of Buddhist uh, um, philosophy the past 15 years. And I was a uh, briefly a Buddhist monk in Myanmar in 2017. But outside of those heavy sounding stuff, uh, I love kickboxing. <laughs> <laughs> it's very un-Buddhist. Um, uh, but I don't fight fight. Uh, I just spar with my coach. I also picked up boxing recently. But I, I swim regularly, ocean swimming and pool swimming. I have a partner. Uh, we've been together for, gosh, can't even, I'm not good with years. I'm 22, 23 years. No, no kids here in Auckland. Most of my family is in the Philippines and in the US. Mm. So that's a short thing. Yeah. I don't want to talk much about myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, well. I mean, such a, a diverse range. You, you, you also, I don't think you meant, mentioned the cello, which, which. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so my cello. Um, I, I don't want to say it's my cello. The cello's with me for the next decades. I don't know who it will be the next next life, but it's a cello made in 1775. Uh, so it's a very old English cello. It sings really beautifully. Yes. Even if I'm not super good, it still sings well. <laughs> I, it's just, I mean, I find those, those sort of hobbies and activities just such an amazing combination, you know, sort of <laughs> cello, ocean swimming, kickboxing, you know, Buddhism and philosophy. That's um, just such a, a, a wonderful collection. I, I actually, in some ways, would like to dive into to all of those different bits, but I, I, I you know, it's, it, 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 there might be a bit much there almost for at the time that we've got. But, um, but yeah, so you, you sort of mentioned this, this interest in Buddhist philosophy. Can, can you sort of maybe talk more a bit about that? Yeah, bit? that's also, also an interesting twist in my life. So I grew up Catholic uh -huh. and I was studying to be a priest at one point. Um, and then I was even active as a cooperator with Opus Dei. I don't know if you know about Opus Dei yet, um, for many years in the Philippines. Then went to New York, <laughs> changed my perspective. <laughs> like for the first time in my life, I was actually, I had friends who were not Catholics. Like I have Jewish friends, Muslim friends, atheist friends. And for the first time, I started to question hmm, uh, a lot of my previous belief system. So for a long while, wasn't involved in any philosophy or religion at all until uh, I think 2004, I was in an airport in Sydney waiting for my flight and then read the book uh, written by the Dalai Lama and a psychiatrist. I would not have touched that book if it was just the Dalai Lama, I didn't care who the Dalai Lama, I knew who he was, but it's like, oh, it's just this interesting figure from the East. But since it was co-authored by a psychiatrist, I got the book and it was a conversation between the psychiatrist Howard Cutler and the Dalai Lama that went on for, I think a few years. And he wrote this book with the Dalai Lama. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, you know, the richness of the teachings of the Dalai Lama, which is, you know, in, embedded in Buddhism, was so, it's so rich. 
particularly when it comes to mental health. And I'm a psychiatrist and I'm, I actually thought I knew a lot about psychology. Like, oh, I trained in a really good school in the US. I had uh, analyst supervisors. I had CBT training. Um, I knew a lot about biological psychiatry. Then I realized there's so much out there um, from, from Buddhist psychology and philosophy that I did not know about. And it just, it was just a huge turn on for me. Like, this is amazing. So that was my first foray into, um, initially it was an intellectual curiosity about Buddhist thought and philosophy. But later on I said, well, I think I'll benefit from this. Let's try some of the practices <laughs> like mindfulness and meta, meta practice. So those two practices just, I would say changed, changed my life. Um, so that's been, that's 15 years ago now. Mm. Yeah. Yes, you, you, you have been a, a very spiritual person by the sounds of it, you know. I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure, uh, yeah, probably I am. I, I still feel I still feel funny when someone says I'm spiritual because I view myself as a a, a, a realist. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I here and now yeah. person, but perhaps sort of reflective <laughs> then maybe or, yeah. or kind of thoughtful. Uh, yeah. um, and even growing up, you know, you 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 were, I guess, in a certain context, and so there was yeah. a certain sort of flavor there that that you know, became. <laughs> a natural sort of thing for you yeah uh, but as you explored the world you you sort of were able to you know gradually pick up on on various sorts of ideas and things perhaps becoming a little bit more focused in on on science and medicine though, yeah and and um I, I guess that real world sort of stuff um and and in fact that's such an interesting point you know that that there was this book and the the connection that it offered with psychiatry was the thing that actually brought yeah. you in. You know, it, it, it had it just been a book by the Dalai Lama, of which he's written many. Um, yeah. You know that that wouldn't that wouldn't have attracted you, but I wouldn't have been interested in it. Yes, it was just this connection yeah. there, and and of course, um, you know, Buddhism is really very practical in in many and, and in very many ways yeah, yeah 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 and and kind of scientific in a sense too yeah very empirical mm. one, one thing i like about it is it's very empirical yeah it's uh try this see what happens you know what are your reflections is it worth pursuing mm. yep if not then abandon it so yeah. I, I like that approach versus you should do this you should do right. that Yes, the, the yeah. sort of the when when a religion moves towards dogma, it's it's sort mm -hmm. of harder. But 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 and and I guess Buddhism can do a little bit of that too sometimes. Yeah, yep, it can be. It can groups. be like that too in certain groups. Yeah. Mm. But but there's that that element of of just observation, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Observation, observation externally and internally, and and it's got that empirical, yeah, know, kind of piece to it. So, so you you sort of discovered that and and started started the practice the 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 mindfulness and the meta kind of practice. How did that then become part of your, I guess your life generally, but also yeah. your work in psychiatry? What what did you notice was the interface there? I was actually when when I when I've I, I was practicing 
you know, I, I'm a psychiatrist, but I was practicing at one point in a public mental health clinic. And I didn't know much about Buddhism yet, um, or even mindfulness. But I had patients who had severe personality disorders. And at the time, they were learning a lot of DBT you know, approaches. They learned mindfulness, but from a Marshall Linehan approach. And it seemed to work with a lot of them. So that's why when I started to become aware of mindfulness, I was thinking, oh, since if this work, if, if this practice or this mindfulness approach, which is a little different from the Buddhist perspective versus Marshall Linehan's approach, um, if this works for my patients, it might work for me as well. So I was open to learning mindfulness. Mm -hmm. So I went to a, uh, you know, a local Buddhist center here, learned mindfulness and practiced it for, you know, initially uh, almost every day for a few months and then about a couple of months into my practice I'm, I, I tend to self-reflect like is this working or not is this working or not? and then one day I was driving down the motorway and there was a car that just cut across me um, cut into my lane and my response was oh there's a car that just got in front of me okay I hope that guy doesn't get into an accident which is a totally different reflex or response. <laughs> and that's when I realized, huh, probably the only thing different with, with, my, with what I've done is I've been doing mindfulness practice. Mm. So I became, I notice I'm less, I, I'm still reactive, but much less, um, less judgmental, still judgmental once in a while. So I'm, I'm not enlightened. But um, so I noticed that transformation even just after a few months of practice, two basic practices. In fact, meta, meta practice for me was, was transformative. And that also led to my interest in the whole topic of compassion. So and after, uh, after probably two, three months of on and off meta practice, um, I woke up one morning, there were lots of ants on the kitchen bench. And normally I would kill them happily, <laughs> spray them with raid, wipe them, even thump them with a certain rhythm because I'm a little musical, <laughs> killing all of them. <laughs> and then this morning I just, I just looked at the ants and I said, I cannot do this. I cannot kill them, not because of fear of negative karma or I'll go to hell or nothing. It's, it's not that. It's more of, I just can't. Mm. Um, and then I remembered what some of my Buddhist friends told me about ants on the kitchen bench, just clean, the, clean, clean, it, clean the bench, take away the, the crumbs, but avoid the ants and they will go away. And they did, you know. I think it will become more problematic, like if you have a mouse infestation similar to the new Swastos. I'm not sure what I will do if I'm a farmer. Probably I'll just stand there. But so I noticed that changed in me that it's actually hard to deliberately harm after doing meta practice. And then I later on I realized that with patients, um, even with my colleagues, I I became just a little easier. Um, particularly when it comes to difficult interactions or difficult patients, I'm just more relaxed, more understanding. 
towards them, knowing that you know all of us have our own dramas. This person is being, I'm perceiving this person as difficult at the moment because most probably this person has his or her own shit or drama going on at the moment. So I'm able to see through the difficult facade and realize now that person's similar to me really. So that's how it, uh, the practice of metta and mindfulness um, seep through my personal life, interactions with others, how I live my life, but also into my practice as a doctor. And then later on became really interested in, can we actually make doctors and nurses more compassionate? <laughs> so that was the PhD question eventually. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's, yeah. I, I'm, I'm very keen to, to dive into your PhD, but I, I love the way that you are able to bring kind of that awareness to, 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 to any given, you know, just, just a small moment, you know, that, that there's so much insight to be gained, isn't there, from just yeah. little moments, little moments of experience when yeah. we turn our attention to that and when we yeah. are aware, we're, we're aware of, of the, the car cutting in front. And rather than going to some sort of default or autopilot mode where we yeah. might feel, you know, threat threat activation and, and sort mm -hmm. of react with with anger, or um, we 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 don't go that way. We sort of we yeah. have a different uh, sense of the other person. In fact, uh, the 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 sort of the notion that I, I I hope they're okay. I hope they don't get into an accident or something. You know, they're obviously in a rush, and you know, the yeah. whole. So there's this sort of awareness and and intention kind of yeah. combo there that yeah is so powerful in in that moment and and with with you know the ants as well i i, I can sort of relate to that you know you, you as we do the the meta practice and the compassion practice um it, it just becomes you know much more uh kind of difficult to to to, to cause harm and much more yeah. um sort of a desirable sense of 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 actually you know, sort of being helpful, yeah, and, yeah, and, and actually, um, you know, removing that little drop of honey. You know, of course, yeah. ants would be drawn yeah. to that. But if I just yeah. wipe that little piece down, they'll wander off and and yeah. do their own thing. That that notion of, you know, certainly no unnecessary harm. You know, I guess if there was a mouse infestation <laughs> or, or something, I, I'm not sure how that. I wouldn't know. I, I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> exactly. It, it, it would feel, it would feel tricky. But but yeah, really, those little the the awareness and intention and those little moments of noticing, and and insights. And then of course, um, kind of noticing that 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 comes into the the clinical session in a way. Yeah. And um, this idea that you know people are suffering, and when they suffer. You know, they start to act or respond in ways that can be sort of difficult and and yeah. you know one way to go is to feel frustrated or whatever by that and get which tougher. is normal which is normal a normal response that, that's a very yeah, normal, yeah very common response yeah yeah and, and 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 but how can we shift you know how can we move towards um oh well this person is just like me mm -hmm. in a way and 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 their suffering and, and how, you know, approaching them with that sense of compassion. So in my case, in, I think what helps in reminding me 
to do that all that um, if needed is I have daily reminders. Um, so I think definitely meta practice was the one that transformed it, mm. I think. I, I think in combination with mindfulness, they go hand in hand. Mm. Um, but when I wake up, I, instead of, oh God, you know, <laughs> another day, I do, a, I actually recite a, a, a short phrase by, I don't know if you know, Shantideva. Um, and it's a phrase that says, as long as the sky exists, as long as there are sentient beings, may I remain to help and relieve them of their suffering. And I would see that, I would say that a few times, just to prime my mind that, okay, I have another day and I'll try to be as helpful as I can to as many beings as possible. So it's just to set a daily reminder. And then during the day, um, I have little reminders in my practice. Like I have this orange band, which we give out in our conference, Compassion in Healthcare conference. And the orange band says, to be of benefit. Mm. So it's just a cognitive reminder. And the, the fact that we, we deliberately chose orange so that it sticks out. Mm. So it's, a, again, a reminder, you can be of benefit. Mm. And then I have little things around my clinic, like a picture of uh, Mother Teresa, mm. hidden, tucked somewhere, patients can't see it. Again, little cues of, you can be of service. Mm. And I have a little Buddha statue <laughs> hidden as well <laughs> that only I can see. Again, little cues because, you know, even, my, even with meta practice and mindfulness, I need to be reminded every day because there are a lot of other emotions that come up. <laughs> Sometimes you just want to strangle someone. <laughs> but um, there's, there need, I think a regular motivation, a regular reminder, at least for me, helps. Yes, it really speaks to that notion of, of compassion I guess as a kind of a as a, as a motivation, as a motivation and, and a yeah. commitment, and not just a feeling, a feeling. Of, oh, I want to. No, it's sometimes you have to be tough. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and, and action. You know, and do. action, action orientated. Mm, yeah, and and Paul Gilbert, as you know, sort of often he speaks about that idea of of remembering. You know, yeah. the, the importance of. Of remembering because there's lots of motivations that the yeah. human brain you know possesses isn't there and, and in yeah. any given moment one or other of them might arise so how do we remember to yeah. engage with the compassionate motivation and and you know really set and, and kind of act on our intentions i love that idea and you know you have sort of little cues little reminders little things that that just just trigger it and, and let's face it you know when when one when i walk into a I went up to Chen Rezig recently, which is sort of north of Brisbane here, a, a, a sort of a Buddhist um, monastery or retreat. And, and um, you know, you just feel different when there are these triggers and prompts around you. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it sort of, you almost become sort of immersed in that and, and mm -hmm. it, it really brings that motivation to the forefront. So why not, um, yeah. you know, have that around us in our, in our daily lives? And also, I mean, as a psychiatrist, I have to be very careful. So I have to do it very discreetly. I don't have a big Buddhist statue in my office. Nothing. It's very, it's very, uh, it's stripped of any religion. But then I have my little cues. I have Mother Teresa and the Buddha that my patients will not see. <laughs> yes. 
And of course, we can really individualize it too, can't yeah. we? You know, it, it might be for me, you know, a picture of Bruno the chocolate Labrador, you know, yeah. it, for me <laughs> yeah. is one of my compassionate others. And it, yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's not really religious at all or something, yeah. but but more just just a little cue. Okay, that's something that he means to me, or or this little figurine of of you know an elephant is is yeah. you know, that's wisdom or something or you know um, we might have a little thing on our person that, that sort of mm -hmm. triggers it as well i also have um, on my phone you know phones can be problematic in a lot of ways but i try to use it uh, skillfully as well so i have a one hour reminder every half an hour or every middle of the hour it's a very soft bell to remind me to just be present to breathe and also to remember to be compassionate mm. that other people will not notice the bell but it's just quite soft mm. but again it's just that Thich is very big on um, on this mindfulness bells throughout the day so we can remember it because we forget mm. and we have very busy lives just going back to the the meta practice would you be able to elaborate a bit on sort of loving kindness and compassion meditations and, and how yeah. they are similar or different or how they fit together? I think, well, I'm not an expert on, <laughs> on the specific types of meditation. I, uh, I think what I do is a, it's a mixture of both, but essentially, um, you know, there are different stages. Um, and the goal, I think, of the practice, this is what I get. Uh, the goal of the practice is to train ourselves to see everyone as exactly like us. I think that's the bottom line of the practice. Um, but the way it starts is, an easy way to start it is thinking or imagining someone who cared for you, someone who loved you. So it can be a parent, can be a grandparent, teacher and then imagining that person in front of you and wishing him or her kindness that he be he or she be free from suffering free from anxiety that he or she uh, have peace and contentment and then you imagine the next person would be someone who you love and then next person would be yourself or next person will be if you're a little good skill with the practice you might start thinking of someone who's a little difficult i don't suggest that to beginners <laughs> because it can be overwhelming mm. and then the last stage would be humanity the rest of humanity and all sentient beings some people actually don't like this practice because they feel that oh it's too wishy-washy uh it's too formulaic so some teachers actually recommend that instead of using the regular phrases that you can actually have a you can have your own phrasing and personalize the phrase to the person um, so in, in let's say you're thinking of your mother instead of using using the usual phrases of may you be happy may you be free from suffering is use phrases that are specific to your mom like mom i know you're quite anxious about our brother my brother right now Hopefully you will be free from that soon. Or I know you're struggling with dad. May you and dad, you know, find a harmonious relationship sooner or later. So personalizing it. And, and like what I said, I think the bottom line of this practice is to 
see that all of us basically just want the same thing. Mm. We want to be cared for. We want to be free from suffering. We want to be free from anxiety um, and that we want to go home safely uh, and we want to feel safe and be at peace and be content. Mm. So I think that's the gist of the practice. And I think that works for me. Mm. Um, training myself to see everyone including, let's say, the, difficult, the perceived difficult patient, because the patient might not be difficult, it just be my own, my own conditioning that makes him or her difficult. Um, but not just patients, not just colleagues, but even the homeless guy, even the guy who's, in the, who's waiting in the bus station, but training yourself to once in a while look at people and view them as they're exactly like me. They're exactly like me, deep inside, exactly the same. And I think from that, kindness and compassion flows easier. Mm. In fact, um, when I went to, um, so I was ordained in Myanmar twice, two short stints as a monk. Um, but the first monastery I went to <clears throat> called Chan Miei Ming Monastery, they're famous or well known to, for their meta training. So the meditation, the whole time you're there is meta. Um, that drove me nuts. <laughs> it was hard. <laughs> and during the interview, like the supervision session with the abbot, I told him, yeah, I've been doing everything. It's so hard, but I'm doing it. And then he says, you know, it's hard the first week. Usually by around, you know, the end of the first week, start of the second week, a lot of times, you know, it just gets easier and smoother. And, it, and he was right. After around the seven, after about seven days, it was just easier to wish everyone, all beings, everyone you're interacting with, happiness, kindness, um, contentment, to be free from suffering. Thank you for listening to part one of my conversation with Dr. Tony Fernando. In part two, we'll be talking about his recent PhD which explored compassion amongst doctors, some of the barriers and strategies for cultivating it. Thank you so much for your support of Compassion in a T-shirt. And I hope you can join me for part two of my conversation in session with Dr. Tony Fernando.